Welcome to Douglas Wilson's The Podcast. This audio is brought to you by Canon Press. So welcome to the podcast. This is episode 194. 194. I'm Douglas Wilson. Thanks for joining me. Thanks for coming along. So I want to talk about, it's odd, okay? It's, I want to talk about something odd. I want to talk about a, a series of um, thought experiments about what life would have been like had there been no fall. What was life in the Garden of Eden like? And this is not an exercise in sort of fruitless speculation. What it does is help tease out or bring to light some erroneous assumptions that we have about what perfection is like. What do I mean? I'll I'll give you, I'm going to give you a number of examples, but let's start with this. If you had been with Adam in the Garden of Eden before the fall, and you had given him a deck of cards, and you taught him how to shuffle a deck of cards, would Adam have been able to shuffle that deck of cards? Now, I told you at the front that this was not fruitless (laughs) speculation. You might think, it sounds like it's going to be fruitless speculation, but no, there's a point to this. Could Adam shuffle a deck of cards? And you'd probably say, well, of course. Of course, he physically could do that, but it's a perfect world. So, when he shuffles the deck of cards, What is it when you have that deck of cards shuffled? Well, it's increasing randomization. It's entropy. You would not say when he shuffles the deck of cards, because it's a perfect world, it'll come up four aces and then a royal flush. And then, you know, it'll that every collection of cards that he takes off the top will be a uh, demonstration of perfection in some way. No, you've got you've got entropy going, you've got randomization, you've got increasing disorder, and you've got increasing disorder in a perfect world. Or Adam and Eve were told that they could eat from any, any tree in the garden except for the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But that means if they ate the fruit, that fruit would be broken down in their stomach, the enzymes and whatnot would break down and digest the food. And that means you've got increasing randomization something happens to the food and it's not increasing order. Something else happens to it first, right? Now, what this means, or or if leaves fell off the trees in the Garden of Eden, would they decompose on the forest floor? Would, Would that have happened? Now, what this is, all these questions are revealing is, what is your hidden assumption about what perfection looks like? If you believe that Adam and Eve were standing in the middle of a stainless steel garden, was perfect and could not be touched or smudged or that biology wasn't going to be happening in it, then, of course, you've got an unbiblical view of perfection, right? Now, in Romans 8, it says that the world now has been subjected to futility and bondage to decay. And so, I, I would take, given the fact that Adam could shuffle a deck of cards, give, given that they could eat fruit, and given that the leaves could rot on the forest floor, I believe that the bondage to decay in Romans 8 as a result of the fall is an example of entropy overflowing the banks, entropy getting out of control. 
entropy becoming destructive. Within bounds, entropy is constructive. It enables you to eat the fruit. It enables you to play cards with your wife. Here's another one. Before the fall, if you'd cut down a tree, and let's say the tree was 10 minutes old, if you cut down the tree, would that tree have had rings in it? The, the rings being testimony of how many years it had been there and whether this was a dry year and whether that was a wet year. This is another way of asking, when the universe, when the world was 10 minutes old, would it have looked older than that? When Adam was created as a full-grown man, he was 10 minutes old, and he looked 30, or whatever it was he looked. So he looked like a full-grown man. It looked like he had been two once, but he wasn't two once. Adam didn't know what it was like to be two. He didn't know what it was like to be a teenager. He was created right there, and he was 10 minutes old, and he looked 30. So it was the world created with the appearance of age in it. Here's another one. Is civil government a result of the fall? Is civil government a result of the fall? Now, I want to say that man is a social animal, man is a political animal, and had there been no fall, we would have been, Adam and Eve would have multiplied and reproduced, and pretty soon there would have been a lot of us. And when there were a lot of us, we would have congregated in a polis. And if we congregated in a polis, or even if we congregated in a village or a town, would there have been politics? Now, I think everybody would agree that obviously you wouldn't need SWAT teams. When I ask, were there politics, I'm not asking if you would have had SWAT teams or executioners or a hangman or uh, the cops having to deal with evildoers because you don't have any evildoers. But you still have challenges of organization. When you need to get this thing organized, then it needs to be authority, then it needs to be submission. So had there been no fall, would we ever, would we have had a choir, for example? And if there was a choir, would there have been a conductor of the choir? And if the conductor of the choir was in authority, is that government? Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, you say, yes, it would have been government, but the choir director would not have authority to chop anybody's head off, as much as some choir directors have sometimes wanted to. Uh, they, they would simply have moral, moral authority or moral suasion, and everything would be voluntary, and it would all be sweetness and light. Yeah, it would all be sweetness and light, but you would still have authority. You'd have authority in the family. You'd have authority of parents over children. You would have authority of the wise over the simple. And, and this is because, and I'm convinced that the 1 Peter 2 and Romans 13 task that God assigns to the civil magistrate in a falling world, which is that of punishing the wrongdoer, that would be utterly absent. But the, other, the flip side of it is to reward that which is good, to praise that which is good, or to give guidance to that which is good. And there's no reason to think that that would not be something that God had in view, even had we not fallen. Now, last thing, in Colossians, it says that God appears to have created the world in such a way that all the entities in it are not, were not created along egalitarian lines. What do I mean? Well, at the moment of creation, when God created the celestial beings, they were created as principalities, as powers, as thrones. That particular God created thrones at the get-go. 
thrones and rule and that sort of thing are not not the result of the fall. There's a hierarchy. And so what God gave Solomon, who was a very peaceful king comparatively, God gave Solomon majesty. So I want to argue that the universe is a hierarchical place. And even though the kings and the rulers would not have to knock heads, uh, there would still be authority and submission and deference and majesty. And then last, I think it's in Matthew 12, uh, it's in Matthew, uh, Jesus talks about how his disciples will, in the regeneration of all things, that they will sit on 12 thrones. So the perfect world after the resurrection presents the same problems of rule that a perfect world prior to the fall would have created, which is, why do we need a ruler at all? If everybody's perfect, why do we need why do we need thrones? Why do we need somebody in charge? Well, I think it's clear that we do, and we'll see why later on. So, we come now, that we're continuing on with Plodcast 194, and we come now to our homartiology class. We are studying sin, not because we want to major in it, but because we want to resist sin intelligently. Our word for this go-round is diaphratheo. This word is D-I-A-P-H-T-H-E-I-R-O. You try to say it. So, this word does not refer to sin necessarily, but it can depending on the context. So, uh, for example, it is used to describe God's destruction of the land in the book of Revelation. All right, the, the word uh, is, refers to being destroyed. So, this is Revelation 8, 8 and 9. And the second angel sounded, and as it were, a great mountain burning with fire was cast into the sea, and the third part of the sea became blood, and the third part of the creatures which were in the sea and had life died. And the third part of the ships were destroyed. There's our word, were destroyed. It's used twice in another verse of Revelation. This is in Revelation uh, eleven eighteen, and the word comes up twice. I'll emphasize it again. And the nations were angry, and thy wrath has come, and the time of the dead, that they should be judged, and that thou shouldest give reward unto thy servants, the prophets, and to the saints, and them that fear thy name, small and great, and shouldst destroy them which destroy the earth. So, God is going to come in this passage, and those who are busy destroying the earth are themselves going to be destroyed. That's our word there. But the sinful sense is found in one, just one passage, where the behavior of false teachers, where the behavior of false teachers is uh, described, and the rendering here, the way it's translated, is with the word corrupt. So, a corrupted thing is an undone thing or a rotted out thing or a destroyed thing. So, 1 Timothy 6.5 says, perverse disputings of men of corrupt minds, there it is, corrupt minds, and destitute of the truth, supposing that gain is godliness, from such withdraw thyself. Now, if you put this together, these men of corrupt minds have the kind of mind that is sort of a ruin. It's kind of a wreckage. This mind is like the earth after God is done destroying it because of how people are destroying it. So, not, not a good thing. You don't want to be that kind of person at all. So, we're continuing on with Plodcast, the Plodcast, episode 194, and I've got another oddball book review. So, I want to talk about the New Testament. I, want, I just 
just finished uh, reading the New Testament, listening to the New Testament again today, and uh, and I did it a little differently this time, and I'd like to mention it to you. I I listened to it. I uh, got a, a copy of the of the New Testament on Audible, and many of you don't know that uh, there is an edition of the New King James Version of the New Testament out there and available on Audible that's narrated by Johnny Cash. So, just finished reading the New Testament, listening to the New Testament, as narrated by Johnny Cash. But wait, it gets weirder. <laughs> so, well, the first, let me say first that frequently readers, especially readers of, of the Bible, have the kind of voice that can put you right to sleep. I'm talking about NPR middle of the night DJ voices where they're introducing a segment of smooth jazz. So you've got this very smooth, fluid, educated, sleep-inducing voice. Johnny Cash's reading is not like that at all. He has an arresting voice. He reads very well. You know, he doesn't have to say, hello, I'm Johnny Cash. You, you know it's Johnny Cash from the get-go. That's, this is Johnny Cash reading the New Testament to me. Okay, so he does a good job. He's got a distinctive voice. The timbre of his voice is really helpful. It's easy to, to stay focused on the fact that he's there uh, reading, it, reading it to you. So here's the odd thing. What I did this time is I uh, listened, I've listened to Johnny Cash read the New Testament before. This time I've, uh, I listened to it and I listened to it at two times the speed, the normal speed. When I listen to books, I generally don't listen to them at ordinary speed because that seems to me to be really dragging. Uh, but I don't listen to them at, at, at 2x. I, I'm not quite that frantic. But I listen to the New Testament at two times the normal speed, as read by Johnny Cash. Now, there are several things about this. It was um, really interesting to me. Uh, So I did this, I I do this listening in my truck as I'm driving here and there around Moscow. Moscow's not that big. So I I listen in three-minute increments, right? And, And listening in little increments like that, it took me like two weeks to go through the entire New Testament at double the, the rate. At one point, I was reading the Bible, listening to it, looking at the, the text he was reading on my phone. And the thing that uh, surprised me, actually, is listening to it at two times the, the normal speed seems to be going along at a really fast clip. But I realized that when I was reading along, Two times the normal speed at reading speed is significantly slower than your average reading speed off of a page. So it's faster than you would normally listen to it, but it is significantly slower than how it would be if you took the Bible off your shelf and sat down and read it that way. And someone might say, oh, isn't treating God's word that way? Well, no, no, think about this. If you've been, uh, I've read, I've been reading the Bible my whole life and again and again and again, read the New Testament a bunch of times, and uh, listening to it at double the rate of speed caused me to notice things that I normally wouldn't notice. Oh, that, that struck me. That struck me. It's, it's processing the same information another way. It's like when you read it with your eyes, it's going into your life via a certain established route in your brain. 
when you listen to it, when you listen to God's word, it's entering you, it's going into you via a completely different route. And I think I would argue that other things happen, other interesting things happen when it goes into you at um, higher rates of speed. So I recommend to you the New Testament, you know, the mighty big of you recommending the New Testament. But I, I rec- what I'm actually doing is I'm recommending to you the NKJV as read by Johnny Cash and feel free to experiment with how you, how you listen to it. Mm-hmm. 